So we've been uh, studying a, as a congregation Richard Rohr's latest book, The Universal Christ, and it's just about uh, realizing that Christ is not Jesus' last name, but it's this universal presence, uh, and that presence being love and grace and compassion and, and forgiveness and, and unity, and, and just taking that time to start seeing that Christ presence not only in ourselves, but in all of God's creation. And it does start shifting not only how we see, but just how we, how we live in the world. Is there a basic goodness underlying everything, all of creation in the world? And, and just noticing that, that goodness in not only ourselves, but other people. And I would just encourage you to kind of develop that, that practice of just noticing that which is good. And, and we talk about this Genesis 1. I think it's such a, a formative story, though, that it's good to go back to it from time to time. So this is the... The first uh, creation story, and I'm going to start with chapter 1 here in verse, verse 10 here. So God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called the seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds and fruit trees of every kind on the earth, and that they bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the third day. And then God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. And then God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And so God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sky and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And then moving forward to verse 26 here. And then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind. In God's image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And this is the original blessing. And just sitting with that original blessing, it just completely changes our our whole focus. There is a blessing there. And then moving forward to, to verse 31. So God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was very, very good. And this is the, the word of God for each and every one of us here today. Amen.
And as we think about this original goodness, I think back uh, to times in your life where a person or maybe an event, or maybe they just confirmed that goodness in you. They looked at you and said, you're good. <laughs> you are really, really good. You are a wonderful person. You are a great person. And, and just how that made you feel. And just spend some time with that, that goodness. So maybe that moment, at some point in your life, where someone just confirmed or anointed you with that, that goodness there. Let's take a few moments just to pray and, and to reflect on that silently. Let us pray. And could, Amaris, could you blank that off there right now? Thank you. All right, let us pray. Give you all maybe a, a moment or two that maybe share, and this isn't so much gloating, just kind of recognizing um, who we are, just maybe a, a moment uh, when someone talked about that goodness and, and just how it made you change or how it maybe elevated you or, or lifted you up, lifted your spirits. And I remember about a, a month ago, I can't remember how long, but the, the library had their 10th anniversary. And uh, uh, Midge Kirk invited me to come and share a story with everybody there at the library. And uh, I shared this story. And I go, ah, I don't know if that was a good story to share or not. And I was kind of feeling all this doubt and insecurity. And then when I, I came to church on, on Monday or Tuesday, I was playing my messages. And Midge left a message. She said, oh, Craig, that was just a great story. We loved hearing it. And she goes, we are so blessed to have you here in town, and you just so wonderful, and she's like, on and on and on she went, and it was just, just made me feel, gave me some assurance, it made me feel all right, and it was so special to hear that message, like I said, it was over a month ago, I haven't even erased it yet, <laughs> <laughs> so I have to play it every once in a while just to hear these, hear these words of comfort and, and, and confirmation there, so uh, does anyone have a, a story just where someone or something happened and it was just that, that goodness, or that blessing and how it maybe changed things or just lifted you up. Yes, Amaris? Probably when Christine yelled at me sometimes and like I know she cares about me because if she didn't then I would have even lived with her. Okay. <laughs> A story here of just that. Yes, Lee? Yeah. And that moment mm -hmm. to have received that from her. 
card that I received a lot from just that piece of hand. Yeah. Okay. Right. I see you and I you know, I'm and I receive so much from story. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, just having that connection and seeing that, reflecting that goodness back and forth to one another there. Yeah, Michael. Well, I promise not to make this too terribly long. But <laughs> <laughs> no, so I've been playing guitar now for, it's been about 33 years. So when I was 10 years old, I picked up the first time. I just started playing things like that. Always having, you know, if you pick up an instrument or something like that, particularly at 10 years old, you grab a hero. For me, with Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> never going to get that fast on guitar. Never. And I'd, I'd always held myself to that to that standard. It's like, okay, if you can't be that fast, you're not going to do anything with it. Well, coming up on 10 years ago, with the help of my uh, sometimes very sweet sister, <laughs> gets me up on stage up here. And every Sunday, come and things I always get that reinforcement. It's like, look, you're not getting that hand. <laughs> but you're good. You're good. And even if I totally blow it, screw up the timing, screw up the chords, I mean, do anything other than fall over the stage, I always get the reinforcement from everybody here, and from Dan and from Greg, and, and that you're good. You're, you're, you're doing the service. And obviously, I loved it so much that it's like, okay, the rest of the family, you guys got to check this out. <laughs> so, mom and the daughter and, and everybody, and I just absolutely enjoy it, and it, and it brings so much more. That I can, even before, you know, before coming here, uh, I had no sense of community. I lived in a, I lived in Salt Lake, or just just north of it, and with that many people around, I had no community. But here, I've never had a bigger one. And it's a small town, but it just it's just this expensive family. So, anyway. All right, thank you. <laughs> Anyone else there with the uh, goodness? Yeah, Aaron. Yeah. 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 Yeah, just practicing that, that that goodness and seeing it in ourselves and one another. It just changes everything. It's truly transformative. Anyone else there? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You, you remind me as well, all of you, is uh, I have a little drawer next to my uh, bed, at our bed at the house there, and I keep all the good notes, all the favorable letters, and, and it's kind of fun just to look at them and, and just be lifted up there. Uh, so just thinking about that goodness, and I also know, who, I can't remember if it was Roar or Father Greg Boyle says, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the good or the practice of the better. We always think we have to set someone straight. Just practice goodness. And that's what truly transforms us. And so I wanted to share a little story. Um, I've shared this with you before, but there's a part of the story I have not shared with you that I kind of wanted to share today as well. But when I graduated um, uh, from high school, our, our head football coach, Jerry Schaefer, he invited, we, invited me into his office to speak, to talk to him before I left there. And uh, we just thought his nickname was literally God with a little G. Uh, we just thought the world of him, and he just inspired us, and, and we trusted him. And, and he was just a, a man of, of great integrity. <clears throat> and so I was a little nervous going into to Coach Schaefer's office. Uh, you just didn't go there very often. And I remember sitting down, and we started talk, talking for a while. And then he looked at me, and he said, Craig, he goes, I want you to know that the world is before you. The sky is the limit. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. And those words coming from him just put me on cloud nine. And I've always remembered those words of great hope and that confirmation of of who I was as as a person. And as I left and went off to college and and got a a teaching degree and started coaching, we reconnected with one another. And I would call him and we'd talk about kids and we'd talk about sports and, and just how to motivate and how to inspire people. And we really became much closer and one time, uh, uh, when I went down for a high school reunion, Jennifer and I and the kids, we stayed at his house. And it was, it was funny, being a 30-something-year-old guy staying at Coach Schaefer's house, I was a nervous wreck. This is Coach Schaefer, you know. And, uh, but with just developing that relationship and just that constant confirmation that he gave me. And a couple years after that, he actually, he lives outside of Dallas. He and his family, they drove all the way to northwest Colorado for their vacation, and they stayed at our house, and, and just, just the love and the bond that we formed. And after that time, I, uh, I felt called into ministry, and when you're part of this faith journey, hopefully we are transformed <laughs> and, and renewed, and some of my thoughts and some of my ideas changed. And, and, and especially, uh, and with that, in these last two or three years, I've been hesitant to call Coach Schaefer to reconnect with him because he has all this integrity and all this goodness, but he's also part of a very conservative religion, pretty rigid. And I'm scared to call him because I go, he might not accept me now. He might reject me. As you know, we became a reconciling congregation. And if I think if I called up Coach Schaefer... He might say, that's not good. That's not of God. And he might reject me. If he knew we were offering sanctuary, Coach Schaefer might say, what are you doing? And you call yourself a minister? And so I fear, while once he just lifted me up, I fear that he might no longer accept me. That he might reject me. And to think about that, How much time, how much energy do we spend 
in fear. Were we worried we might be rejected? That someone might say they, they love us or they care about us, but they might find out more about us and all of a sudden they, they reject us. And we live in constant anxiety, worried about that disapproval or that rejection. And that's why this Genesis story is so powerful. Just over and over and over again, you are good, you are good, all of creation is good. But do we believe that or not? Richard Rohr, Father Rohr, he says, I find very few people who do not feel inadequate, who, who, who do not feel inadequate, stupid, dirty, or unworthy at one time or another. Or maybe just different spectrums throughout our life where we feel unworthy or inadequate and wondering if we are acceptable. He says, when people come uh, into me, to my office for counseling or for confession, they all ask the same question in one form or another. And the question is, if people really knew the things that I think, the things that I have said, the things that I have done, the things that I want to do, would they still love me? He said, every person asks that question in one form or another. Would they still love me? And I think in the back of my mind here, and I don't know if it's true or not, that if Coach Schaefer really knew me, if he knew our church, would he still approve of me or would he reject me? And all of us have had these feelings of radical, foundational rejection and the fear and the anxiety that comes with it. And we lay awake at night wondering, gosh, when I made that phone call, did I, did I offend that person? We call someone up, we send them a letter, an email or something, and they don't respond to me. And we go, what happened? <laughs> Are they upset with me? And we live with this constant fear and this constant worry. So where does all this fear, all this insecurity, where does all this anxiety come from? Because it's not coming from Genesis 1. <laughs> it is good. It is good. You are very, very good. Where does it come from? And there's probably many sources for our fear and our insecurities, for our feelings of inadequacy. But one source is definitely what I call theology rooted in shame and in fear. And it's very, very pervasive. And I'm guessing all of us, 100% of us, have been affected by this. And in the 5th century, Augustine, he introduced the concept, not of original goodness, original blessing, but the concept of original sin, which is never mentioned in Scripture. Never. But when he introduced this idea, it just took hold. I don't think I heard about original blessing until a couple of years ago. It's just there. And I grew up in the Methodist church. This concept of original sin, that, and I took it as a young kid, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy. And it's just very pervasive. And Augustine said that human beings are born into sin because Adam and Eve offended God by eating an apple from the wrong tree. So he banishes them from the garden and they're going to be punished forever. And I can remember it as a little kid in Washington State where they grow all these apples. 
and eating these apples and enjoying it, going, this is a little kid. Am I eating the right apple? Is this the forbidden fruit? And there was this fear and this anxiety that God might punish me. Taking that passage very literally for eating the wrong apple. How much fear, how much anxiety do we have in our lives? So God punishes Adam and Eve by casting them out of the garden. And as Rohr says, a much better description for Adam and Eve's experience would be original shame. They feel shame. And God starts looking for them and they hide from God and they feel naked and they feel their shame. And this idea of original sin isn't something we do. We don't even do anything. It's just passed down to us from Adam and Eve. We all inherit it. Why don't we talk about receiving this goodness, this original blessing. This is our our true self. And this idea of original sin, which is so pervasive, it creates a schizophrenic religion. We're constantly paranoid. We're constantly living in fear. We're constantly wondering if we're doing the right thing. And it's a worldview rooted in fear and anxiety and shame. And original sin conveys this message. And I can remember this so distinctly even as a little kid. If I behave correctly, God will love me and bless me. But if I mess up, if I eat the wrong apple then God will punish me. Yesterday in our, 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 our workshop, our retreat, it was about sinking into God and just being present to that goodness and that blessing. And just being there with that blessing. But when we have this paranoia, if I mess up, is God going to punish me? It just creates all this fear, all this anxiety. If we start off with original sin or original shame, normally the pit is so deep, we never get out of it. We're constantly just swimming in it and drowning in it. We live in a time of primal shame. And we don't know how to escape it. And as people of faith, we can reclaim our original goodness. It's already there. It's already within us. And we just have to pay attention to our true essence, our true self. And think about all the influential men of God throughout time. And maybe even want to emphasize the word men throughout time and their power. Martin Luther, who's had so much great influence, and he did do a lot of good things. But he portrayed human beings as, you know what he portrayed them as? Huh? Sinner. Yeah. (laughs) Piles of manure. Human beings are piles of manure. What does that do to us, to children? Who are you? Well, you're a pile of manure. And how devastating that is. Jonathan Edwards, who's an early 18th century revivalist preacher going to revive everybody. He condemned New Englanders as sinners in the hand of an angry God. Talk about making you paranoid. (laughs) 
You are all sinners in the hands of an angry God. That'll keep you up at night when you review your day. (laughs) John Calvin. He introduced the doctrine of total depravity. And I was reading on this a little bit. I wasn't too familiar with this. And the doctrine basically says, we can do good. As human beings, we can do good. But because we have inward distortions, all human actions, all human actions are displeasing to God. Wow. Why? And we wonder, why aren't people going to church? (laughs) Huh? Because we're scared to death of God, of judgment, of displeasing this creator. But just read Genesis 1. It is good. It is good. It is good. You are very, very good. And we need to stand for that goodness and for that blessing. And remind one another. Remind everyone we see. Some of you mentioned that. Just offering that blessing to each person. We are good. Yes, we have struggles. Yes, we have our brokenness. But our true essence is good. We can do doing that good. And I can remember so distinctly sitting in those apple orchards, eating those apples. <laughs> Are these good? And there's a little fear. Is this the right fruit to eat? How often do we feel inadequate or fear, fearful or shameful? Is that of God? I don't think so. God says you are good. And if we fall, God forgives and restores us and reminds us of who we are. And these fear-based ideas about God, they have serious ramifications. They lead to mistrust and suspicion. They lead to all these fiery notions of eternal hell. They lead to systems of reward and punishment. These ideas lead to shaming and the exclusion of all wounded individuals. They lead to beliefs and the superiority of someone based on their skin color or their ethnicity. Or one nation is better than another nation. All rooted in these ideas of original shame. Original sin. And these ideas which are very, very prevalent, unfortunately, in Christianity today, they also breed a Christianity that is steadily declining in numbers and in relevance in our country. And at the very same time, there's this growing fear, growing shame. Can we live from that original goodness? Why would anyone, why would anyone want to go to church just to feel worse about themselves? To feel angry? And God says, you're good. This is who you are. So what is the good news? What is our hope? What is the reality of God moving through our world? Some of you, now if you could show that, that picture, that next picture. Yeah. <laughs> when I think of goodness, and that original goodness, I always think of Marsha. 
She's a member of our church, and she's a resident up at the Valley Inn. And she's just an amazing person. I've been seeing her for over 15 years now. And a little bit about Marcia's story, she wouldn't mind me telling her. She has suffered from epileptic uh, seizures since the time she was a young child. She has never been able to live on her own. She's always had assistance or living in uh, nursing homes. I would guess that Marcia's net worth is probably less than $50. She uh, fell in love with, with Lester the first time she ever got married while she was in the at the Valley Inn, and they had this deep love, and we talked about, you both are not very healthy. And they said, we want to get married. And a year after they got married, and it was right here, I got to officiate, and there wasn't a dry eye in this place. Because the only reason they got married is love. And he died a, a year after they were married. And if you visit Marsha up there at the, at the Valley Inn, Her most defining characteristic is joy, is goodness. And you just like being around her. And she's also very, it's very difficult to understand what she is saying. And throughout the years, I'll I'll, I'll talk to Marsha. And I'll say, Marsha, why are you so happy? Why do you have this joy and all this goodness? And she always looks at me like I have three heads. She goes, what? I go, why do you have all this joy and all this goodness? And she does get upset, but for the most part, it's just this goodness. And sometimes she'll say, are you a minister? (laughs) I go, yeah. I go, why this joy? And she'll smile and giggle. And she'll say, God. God is with me. And after everything she's been through, she says, God has been so good to me. Kind of what we were touching on at our retreat yesterday. She has completely surrendered to God. She's completely emptied everything out, let go of everything. And she's just that receptacle. Receptacle, thank you. (laughs) For that love and for that goodness. She's probably the last person you would expect. Just being with that joy. You can even see that in her smile there. (laughs) In Lester's as well. And Lester himself was the same. He he struggled with addictions throughout his whole life. And he finally, I think he finally kind of came clean and and, and made peace with himself when he married Marcia. They were exuded rather just that, that goodness in one another. It's amazing. Can we shift our focus from original sin and original shame to original blessing, to original goodness? Can we see that which is of Christ, not only in ourselves, but every person that we encounter? And is this how we can truly transform the world? In the story we read from Genesis, it begins with six clear statements of original blessing or inherent goodness. Almost all of the world's great religions start with some sense of primal goodness in their creation stories. And the initial metaphor for creation was a garden. Look at those of you who garden. It was a garden, which is inherently positive, it's beautiful, it's growth-oriented, 
It is a place to be cultivated and cared for. How much time do we spend cultivating the goodness, the blessing, that which is divine within us and in our world? The garden was a place where humans could walk naked and without shame. I'd say maybe we were in that place when we could walk freely among each other naked, as, as absurd as that seems, and not feel any shame or any fear. Just that inherent goodness. And after Adam and Eve eat that apple and they feel the shame, they start hiding from God. But if we read on in Genesis 3, there's this very nurturing image of God as a seamstress. And God is sewing garments for Adam and Eve and he covers them up. He's covering, covering them up and protecting us as well. And he's covering us from our shame. You don't have to carry this shame. You are good. We must, now more than ever, rebuild ourselves, rebuild our churches and our society on a foundation of original goodness, original grace. This is who we are. And not try to continue, insist upon building ourselves up on original sin or that shame. It has never worked and it never will. Father Rohr says, let us try preaching and teaching and living from a place of original goodness, from that blessing, and see if this can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And God saw, God saw everything that God had created. And indeed, it was very, very good. Amen.